Good evening, everyone. So Jiva continues this annotation. We now resume our original discussion. Let's get back to the original discussion. The distinctive feature of the Lord's attributes is that they are extraordinary, adbuta, literally transcending all that has come into being, buta as understood from the fact that they attract the mind even of liberated sages who delight in the self alone, Atmarama. This is directly stated by Sri Sutta Goswami as follows, Atmaranas, Atmarama, Cha Munayo, Nirgrantha Apuru Krume, Kuravansha Haitukim Bhaktim, Ithambhuta Gunohari. The sages, though freed from the knot of ego, and though delighting in the self alone, engage in causeless devotion to Sri Krishna, the majestic player. Such are the entrancing, entrancing qualities of Sri Hari. His mind, again, same verses carrying forward into the actual verse we just chanted in Sanskrit, Atmaramas Cha Munayo, his mind captivated by Lord Hari's qualities. Sukadev, the powerful son of Vyasudev, and ever beloved of the Lord's devotees, regularly studied this great book, Srimad Bhagavatam. So these qualities, Jiva's, he's, he's, He's coming to this point at the end of the Sanacheta and saying, how can any of these attributes of the Supreme, name, form, qualities, pastimes, be material since they can attract liberated souls? Jivan muktas, people that have no, that are completely satisfied in the self. Completely satisfied in the self, imagine that they are completely content with their own spiritual being. They don't care if they eat or sleep. They, nothing of the world. There's nothing in the world, there's nothing that the senses can offer them that, that they have any interest in. They, it, there's just nothing here for them anymore. They're liberated within the material body. But when they hear about these attributes of the Supreme, they're attracted. So it's something more than can be had with the topmost platform of purity, Jivan Mukta, liberated within material existence. It's something more than that. So as soon as Sukadev, we know how Sukadev was drawn in, he was liberated. He was walking naked in the world. He, he had no desires. But as soon as he heard the verses describing Sri Krishna, his qualities, he was completely captivated, completely drawn in. He gave up his fixation with unqualified Brahman and become, became a worshiper of the complete personal non-dual whole Bhagavan. So the Lord has auspicious qualities due to his due to the inherent 
majesty of his very being. Thus his qualities, form, and so on do not spring from Maya, but from his own magnificence. Now let us complete the explanation of the remaining part of the principal verse in this section. So Jiva's summing it up, and he's first saying, now we, this in and of itself, this revelation, this attraction of Sukadev to name, form, qualities, pastimes of the Supreme is, is the real, is the evidence that we need. It really sums up everything that we said up to this point about the Lord assumes a name, form, quality, pastime. These aren't material, or Sukadevan had none, no interest whatsoever in them. So now let's talk about the remainder of the verse. So now a doubt may be raised. Even if we accept that the features, such as the Lord's birth and form, are manifestations of his essential nature, Swarup, yet if his Swarup is complete, what need is there for him to accept them? He's completed himself, so what's the need for him to accept a name, a form, Shaktis? He's, he's completely self-satisfied also in his Swarup. So why does he do it? Why has he done this? The answer to this, in answer to this, it is said, he does so for the purpose of creating and destroying the material world, the second half of the verse. He accepts these to create and destroy the material world. This is in here interpreted to mean the proper understanding, the proper interpretation of this is for the purpose of bestowing the bliss of devotion upon his devotees after bringing their material existence to an end. As we proceed through this, we're going to see how Jiva is going to equate the manifestation, the display of, and the wrapping up of material existence simply to the Lord's mercifulness upon his devotees. There's no other reason for it. Jiva Goswami then goes on in his Sandarbha, this particular Sandarbha, to use word derivations to substantiate this interpretation that we just read. We're not going to go into all those word derivations, if that's okay. The fuller implication, however, is that the Lord is ever endowed with name and form simply to increase the devotional bliss of his eternally liberated associates. Arjuna said this in the first canto. Thus you descend in order to remove the burden of the world and to inspire the unbroken meditation of your associates and those devotees who exist only for you. So he's substantiating his angle of vision on this verse by quoting another verse from the Bhagavatam. So he's giving a praman, an evidence. The sense here is this, Jiva says. 
Just as there are other avatars, like the Purusha avatars, he too, Krishna, is an avatar. In other words, this is an appearance made by you who are directly the Supreme Person, Sri Krishna. So we say he's not an avatar. Krishna's too Bhagavan Swayam. But he appears like an avatar. He appears to come, and he appears to come like the other avatars. But if, was, if he was like the other avatars, why would Karnadakshai Vishnu steal, what was it, the son of the Brahmana? Many sons. Many sons that Arjuna couldn't protect from death to see him. Because all the other avatars are coming through the agency of Karnadakshai Vishnu. So he, he wouldn't have to steal. So there's some deeper tattva there. That you, oh, he wanted to see Krishna and Arjuna personally. And he had to he had to he had to take this Brahmin's son as sons as soon as they were born, and the Brahmin complained. He went to upper management of the kingdom, who at that time was the Pandavas, and said, "What are you doing? You're not kings. You're not leaders. You're not doing a good job at all. You can't even protect my child, a little baby." coming out of the womb, is immediately dying and taken away by Yamaraj. What kind of kingdom is this? And Arjuna says, oh, I'm sorry. This won't happen again. I guarantee it. I will personally protect your sons. They will not die. Well, it didn't work. So then you have Arjuna despondent to the point of suicide. Well, I can't protect. If I'm not the Kshatriya, everybody says that I am. Then what's I, I can't continue. Such a character Arjuna has to think like this. Better I die. Well, Krishna didn't want to really lose Arjuna, so Krishna said... Well, let's look a little bit into this. I think I can figure this out for you. And they did some research and they figured out what was going on and they went to retrieve all those sons. And guess who had taken them? Karnadakshai Vishnu. I wanted to see you too. I heard you were here in my, you know, and I, I, had, I just had to... I had to see for myself. I wanted a darshan. It's kind of hard for me to leave and go into the material universe. So, this was easy. Thank you. So, in other words, this is appropriately, this, this is an appearance made by you who are directly the supreme person, Sri Krishna. Even though you have appeared in order to relieve the burden of the earth who is your great devotee. You also did so in order to grant your other devotees the bliss of engaging in your worship, bhajan, through constant meditation. Jiva raises a doubt. Earlier, Jiva says, in Anucheta 47, it was rhetor uh, rhetorically asked, 
Since the Lord is completely blissful, what has he to gain by creating the world? It's a logical doubt. Why does he even need to create? He's, 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 does he need to create a world to, to experience bliss with his devotees? He's self-satisfied. So, does he need to create a world to experience bliss? How can this statement be true if the Lord does have a purpose, namely to grant devotional bliss to his devotees? He's self-satisfied. So, you're basically saying he has, an, he has to perform an action to give himself satisfaction. An action that's outside of himself. So is he really a self-satisfied supreme personality? Or isn't he? It's a valid doubt. If you're self-satisfied, why do you have to why do you have to do this? But if he didn't do it, then one could fault him. If he didn't act to protect his devotees, if Mother Earth begged for him to come and protect her, and protect humanity, and he didn't do it, then you could say he's without mercy. Mercy, in fact, is one of his most excellent qualities. And it is precisely out of mercy for his devotees that he appears in the material world. In answer to this, the verse states, you do so for the sake of those devotees who exist only for you. Ananya Bhavanam. The implication is that the Lord, who is faultless in the crest jewel of omniscience, would be guilty of the fault of unmercifulness if he neglected his devotees who are exclusively dependent upon him. Although the Lord is Marama, he is fully self-satisfied. Delighting in the self alone, the virtue of compassion is possible only in him, who is the shelter of extraordinary qualities. The virtue of compassion is possible only in him. That's a pretty bold statement. No one else can have compassion. Well, if they do, if we find it in others, it is a, the infusion of a portion of the Lord's compassion. Well, let's look at that a little bit. What does compassion mean in its topmost form? It means granting complete and absolute relief to someone, to be compassionate to them. That requires all the power. You can't have some power. You have to be able to give that person complete and total relief. That's what compassion is. So, that's why we can have such a bold statement as the Lord is the absolute repository of Compassion, it's only possible for him. Who else can grant liberation? There you have your answer. 
And if anybody else can show any compassion by showing you the door to liberation, by introducing you to Krishna, by providing an opportunity for you to have relief from material existence, then that's a portion of the Lord's compassion. Because ultimately, compassion means an end to material existence. This quality constantly attracts everyone from Brahma to the most wretched fool. Jiva now quotes a verse from the 10th canto spoken by Krishna in regards somewhat to this, to bring it out. So this is Krishna speaking. There are some who delight in the self alone, others who have attained fulfillment of all desire, others who are by nature ungrateful, and yet others who are simply envious of their superiors. All these kinds of people do not return even the love of those who love them, let alone those who do not love them. But, dear friends, I do not love in a calculated manner, reciprocating merely in exact proportion to the amount of love I receive from my worshippers. So the Lord is therefore most capable, shows his quality of mercy in order to bestow bliss upon his devotees. And Jiva goes on to state, this mercy is a special and most extraordinary feature of Bhagavan and it manifests from the bliss inherent in his swarup. He's so satisfied that he could do these things for his devotees and for people that aren't even his devotees, for those that are simply coming to poison him. He can extend the full limit of his compassion. In some cases, a person is merciful, but incapable of helping others. I wish I could help. I feel my, I feel for you. You ever heard that comment? I feel for you. But really, what can I do? I can't take your pain away. I'm sorry you're in pain. I'm sorry you're suffering. I'm sorry you're in mental anxiety. But I'm incapable. What? I can feel sorry. I can feel merciful. But can I extend mercy? Only if I'm capable. I have to be fully capable. So that's the real point being made by Krishna. That's the real point being brought out by Jiva here is when we talk about compassion, you have to be completely able to follow through. Otherwise, what's the value of mercy and compassion? Such mercy is impotent and becomes a cause of further misery. The person is like, then you start to feel bad. I can't help them. And the person that's in distress is in further misery. Even my friends who care enough, they can't help me. So it's, it's like a lose-lose situation. We can start to see where Krishna is, you know, this is, this is a, such a significant thing that's being spoken of here. Therefore, one should not try to be merciful artificially. If you can't really step up to the plate 
don't say that you wish you could hit the ball. I mean, if I want to really help, I better have the facility to help. Otherwise, I'm simply, simply prolonging the misery. I mean, it's nice to sew. I wish I could help. My, I, my heart bleeds for you. But my heart, I mean, just something to contemplate. The Lord, however, is omnipotent. And thus his mercy nourishes his devotees. When he sees this, his bliss increases even beyond what he normally feels in his own swarup. He likes doing this. It gives him pleasure to be merciful and to be compassionate even more than his own self-satisfaction. And what comes out of that? This verse speaks to that. He takes on name, form, qualities, and form. To what? To, to, to what? To create and destroy a material world? Yes, but for what? To what end? So that he can display this quality. This has been expressed in the original verse under discussion with the words Anukalam Richiti. He accepts these, birth, actions, etc., perpetually. He perpetually displays his compassion. The purpose is simply a manifestation of the beatitude of he who is unlimitedly capable. Krishna performs these pastimes perpetually as stated in the main verse of this section. Anukalam Richati. Perpetually the material universes are manifested and then wound up. Therefore, Bhagavan's actions are a manifestation of his bliss that have no other purpose. We've come to the end of the explanation through one Anucheta of one verse from the prayers of Gajendra who was being attacked by a crocodile. So it was pretty big Bhagavatam class. Any questions? Sorry, I'm way behind. What is the book you're reading from? From the Sandarbhas of Jiva Goswami. So Jiva Goswami wrote the verses, and who wrote the explanations? Well, the Sandarbhas are, are basically broken down there's six sandarbhas and four of those sandarbhas deal with sambanda or the inner relationship of things one deals with the practice of devotional service bhakti sandarbha and then the final is the preeti sandarbha which elaborates on on the attainment or how one is actually when they're when they're fully uh, fully freed of material existence, how they interact with the Supreme. So what he's done is he's, he's said at the very beginning of his Sandarbhas, if we're looking for truth, we need to we need to have a valid methodology. And we can see in the world of man that everybody's striving for truth and there's so many truths Put forward, but they're all relative to the relativity of someone's position in material existence. So therefore, he 
he takes the readers at the very beginning to the conclusion that if you're really looking for the absolute truth, for true knowledge, which is not a cheater's knowledge, then you will arrive at the at the Srimad Bhagavatam. Of all the first, you arrive at the Vedas, and you look at the Vedas, and you look at how the Vedas are structured, and you look, you know, to the Upanishads, the Shruti, you look to the Smriti, you look to the, you know, you look to the various Puranas, and you can see the Puranas are developed for people in the mode of ignorance, the mode of passion, the mode of goodness, and you look at all these things, and everything in the Vedas is pointing to the Srimad Bhagavatam. So if we're looking for truth, let's look to the Srimad Bhagavatam. Then he proceeds to tell his readers, and if we look to the Srimad Bhagavatam, let's look to this one verse. When we talk, start talking about Sambandha, we're going to discuss one verse. Varanti tattvavidas tattvamyaj janamadvayam brahmeti paramatmeti bhagavaniti sabjate. That non-dual, that non-dual spirit can be viewed differently by different worshippers. Some view it as impersonal Brahman, some as Paramatma, and some as Bhagavan. So then he proceeds with his second Sandarbha, and we're studying the Bhagavan aspect of that verse. The next Sandarbha, we'll talk about the Paramatma aspect. There's nothing to talk about in Brahman because there's no qualities there. Brahman has no arms, it has no legs, it has no senses. It's, it's a conception of the Supreme, which means it basically negates everything, which is what the yogi does in material life. He negates everything material and he arrives at his own self-satisfaction. So there are those spiritual aspirants that say, that's where I want to go. Let me turn off everything that's given me misery and let me just be. So let me exist. And then you can exist with knowledge. So you can know that there's something behind existence. And so that's sat and chit. So knowledge. Paramatma. And then ananda. So we added the ananda aspect. And we have sat chit ananda. And we have the Bhagavan conception of the absolute. So he's broken down the... Sandarbhas into these Sambandha, Abhideya, Prayojan. He's very competent to do that. Being the younger of all the Goswami, he's drawn from all their understandings and revelations as they receive them from Sri Chaitanya. So he's compiled all their works together into one, one major work, the Sat Sandarbhas, the six Sandarbhas. And uh, we're on the second of those six Sandarbhas. And You'll see as we go through the presentation, he uses primarily for Praman, for evidence, verses from the Bhagavatam. And he'll break those down and he will teach us the tattva of Sri Shaitanya as presented by Sri Shaitanya Mahaprabhu. He's going to teach us the tattva of what is God based on the revelation put forth by Sri Shaitanya and codified by the Goswamis that came before him and others, other Acharyas. Anything else? Thank you so much for your association.